Welcome to the Loans On Demand podcast, the show where we flip the real estate status quo on its head and put loan officers into the driver's seat. We give you all the tools, strategies, resources, and mindset needed to modernize your mortgage business and thrive. And my name is Luke Shankula, AKA Longform Luke, and this is the Loans On Demand podcast. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Loans On Demand podcast, the show where we help loan officers flip the status quo on real estate agents and put loan officers in the driver's seat. And today, man, I'm super pumped because we have Adam Zach. Adam Zach is, I guess, a real estate investor. He has a magnificent obsession with learning and with real estate. He has a beautiful family. He does a lot with real estate. And I'm going to let him introduce himself because he's got a lot of cool things here that I think he should just, you know, introduce himself. So what's going on, Adam? Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Luke. Yeah, it's mortgages, houses, they just fascinate me. I mean, the idea, I know some people call it the American dream. I know now maybe people don't want to be tied down. And so that can, you know, actually work to your advantage, either as an investor or as a loan officer, either they're moving more times or doing different stuff. So just got on this idea of, hey, how can I get to some sort of passive income, either building a business. So was an ex-engineer now. So I did civil engineering for 10 years, got the real estate bug, got the entrepreneur bug. Lots of highs and lows, lots of like, hey, you reap what you sow, you know, similar to what loan officers are like, yeah, you got to go out there, you got to shake the trees, you got to do a bunch of different stuff. And so just coming at this from a real estate investor standpoint, love working with loan officers, with real estate agents, you know, if we can kind of on the referral thing. And so we just kind of kept narrowing down until we found our niche. And that was people specifically that were denied the bank loan, but still wanted to get in a house. And so we're trying to flip the script on that to still get people into homes, even if they don't fit the exact bank criteria. In addition to that, got my amazing wife of five years plus, and then we got a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a newborn. So life has a lot going on. Yeah, man, that sounds exciting, right? There's a lot going on when you got three kids at home and a business going on. But so tell me a little bit about kind of the come up story, right? Tell me like what it looked like as you're starting the business. I mean, you talked about it a little bit, right? You're an ex-engineer. But tell me a little bit about kind of like what the evolution of what you do in the real estate world has kind of evolved over the last you know few years since when you started it. Sure. I think I equate it the most to the marshmallow test. Have you seen that test that they do with toddlers? Oh, is it the one where you do like you get the one or if you wait a certain amount of time, you get two? Yeah. Ironically, I was just running that test on my kids, which is like fun. Like both passed. And I was like, oh, this is kind of like a little fun experiment. But this idea of like delayed gratification was drilled into me pretty young. Sure. Where it's like, okay, go to school. Okay, get good grades so you can go to, a, you know, in high school so you can go to college. Okay, go to college, get a good thing so you can get a job. Okay, once you're at the job, stash money away for the 401k so that you can retire. And I was like, okay, super. Right. Did all that stuff. And it was like, okay, well, now what? So I just do this for the next 35 years. And it was like, oh, something right. there didn't quite rub. So like I went all in, like I got super excited. Like most people do like when they say passive income or the fire or like crypto or doing day trading or stocks or fantasy sports betting. And like I tried so many different things just because my brain was like, I just can't rest. I want to try these different things. And so at first I didn't really like my job. And then I learned that you could actually like your job, be good at your job. And so I tried to make that as whole as possible. It was coached to me, like, don't just like float out on your job, do all the side hustle and then eventually get fired. So I was trying to give them the better right. end of the deal here at the civil engineering firm. And I think that worked out well in the long term for me. So I was like, okay, what can we do? Like I was trying to create like spray that you could put on the windshield so that like it went frost over in the morning. So I was like getting into like nice. chemistry and other stuff. I was like, okay, none of this hit. And then I had a house hack going on, which is basically I was living in a house and I had three buddies living in it and they were paying my mortgage. And the house is appreciating. Gotcha. They're paying off the principal. And I was like, ooh, this is kind of cool. So then I got into the real estate thing, 
bought a house, did the same thing, rented it up, and then that's when I started partnering up with people. And man, when you partner up with people, that was like the accelerator that went on it. That alone didn't quite do it, but we, like we bought a house, thought we were gonna flip it. Oh my god, we sucked. <laughs> we were so bad. We bought like a 1910 house, thinking that we could put like 10 grand into it. And I was like, oh yeah, that got us like two windows. And by the way, like the windows don't even fit because like old school houses and like this and passing the code. So to this date, I doubt we'll make any money on like our first four deals. But we learned a ton. So we're like, oh, we're not really going to improve houses. Well, maybe we should buy some turnkey. So we tried buying some turnkey. So it's like, oh, have a good W-2, start investing some money, do the turnkey route. And then we're like, oh, well, we run out of money. Uh, you can only invest so much. So like, oh, how do I get more capital? Right. So we kind of just started thinking of like, okay, well, what unique things can we do to either add value? So like you can talk about like flipping houses or burning or like getting your capital back. But eventually we landed on this idea of like buying a home for somebody that can't get a bank loan where we maybe borrow 80% from the bank. The person brings 10%. So now we only have to bring 10% into the table. And then it was like a triple win where they got a home with the exclusive option to buy it. We got this cash flowing asset and then they were able to refinance, you know, at the back end to be a better situation than if they had just rented for three years. Right. Where they, you know, had this equity built in the home. Like the last 10 years, real estate's been phenomenal. Now with interest rates or different things changing, like that might change, but like you could almost do no wrong in real estate the last 10 years if you just bought a piece of property and held on to it, especially these last few years. So right. we were sacrificing some equity, but we got these people into homes and that's what's been really cool, especially if they're at like a week away from the closing table or they go to the loan officers and they're hearing different stories. So that's kind of where we got into it. We call it kind of our business evolution 4.0 where idea one didn't work, two didn't work, but you like you kind of just, as long as you can keep learning, keep improving, I'm hoping that we have version 5.0 or 6.0 of our company as we continue to evolve. Love it, love it, yeah. And I always love talking about that because you know people always think that you know people get to where they are, it's just like a one-way trip to the moon, but you know it's not always like that, right? There's always the ups and downs of, especially if you're building your own business and you're doing things that you've never done before. I mean, there's always gonna be the ups and downs of, you know, running a business. And it's funny, I was just, you know, over the last few days, I've had a couple conversations with people in regards to, I don't know if you're familiar with the Dunning-Kruger effect, but essentially what that is, is basically like, as you're starting something new, you know, you don't have very much knowledge. So you start to gain this knowledge. And so you start to gain all this confidence thinking, man, I know so much. I know so much about this thing. So you get to this point where it's called Mount Stupid. It's the peak of Mount Stupid, right? You think you know so much about this thing. So you have so much confidence. You're going to make all this money. You're going to do this thing. It was probably how you felt when you, you know, buy this 1910 house. Like, man, this is like the perfect thing. We're going to make so much money on this thing. And then you have all this confidence. And the next thing you know, you're down here. It's called the Valley of Despair, right? Like, so you've gone through this whole period of time where like, you thought you were so smart, but really you didn't know anything about anything. And so you come down to this valley of despair and then, you know, sort of, you continue on this path of knowledge, learning, things like that. You start to go up to the, you know, the path of enlightenment, right? Of like actually understanding what you have to do, right? And then again, as your expertise actually goes up, that sort of confidence continues to grow. And so it's just a funny sort of principle that, you know, so many times we kind of get there and I've done this multiple times, even with my business with, you know, thinking I was the best marketer ever. And then like, you know, having it all crash down on me and like, you know, almost losing my whole business in like a six week period of time. And so, you know, I just think that, you know, loan officers that are listening to this or anybody who's listening to this is like just understanding that, you know, anybody who's achieved anything in life, like any huge producer, loan officer or whatever it is, any business, they've all seen ups and downs. They've all failed 
pretty miserably at some point in their life. Or if they haven't, they're going to at some point in the future. So, you know, I just love talking about this just because of that, right? So, you know, when it comes to what you do, I mean, what's kind of your typical person that's fallen into this window? And like, how do you kind of work with loan officers to help them have creative solutions to, you know, get someone into a home, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, most loan officers want to get them into the home. Like at the end of the day, they also want to make money, right? But uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, if someone's fallen out at the very end, like, how do you help with that? Yeah, that's usually where the conversation starts. Sure. If someone finds us and they've either been told they can't get a mortgage, denied, or they think they can't get a mortgage. Sure. And we'll usually break that down where it's like, number one, if you haven't talked with a mortgage loan officer and you just think that you can't get a loan, like, go talk to a couple different people. Like, you know, I always say like, well, you got the big nationals wherever you have a checking account. And then number two is go local because sometimes the credit unions, different places, like if they're lending out their own money, they can play by different rules. At least that's my understanding from where I've had here is like, well, they don't have to meet the exact things if they're not selling them on the secondary market. If they're keeping on their own, like they can have different overlays, do what they want. So it's like, hey, just in that fact, like just because you don't have a 580 credit score, maybe you can do that, which again is none of our own business, right? We're just trying to disqualify them because if they can get a mortgage, we just say, hey, go that route. Right. Where we do find people is like, well, I talked to the loan officer and he's like, my credit's not quite there, but in a year on this plan, I can get there. Or I'm self-employed, they want the two years, or I changed jobs and I can't quite get there. Probably a lot what you would hear, same thing about the non-QM space of what we're doing, except for we're not doing non-QM. What we're going to do then is buy it with our own private capital that we're raising and then sell it to them on a lease with the option to buy. And how that's different is there's not a mortgage. So the investor takes title and then they have the option to buy it. And so a lot of times loan officers will come to us to be like, man, like I just can't quite get this person into it, but they really want this house. And if they don't get an offer on this house in the next week or whatever it is, like they're going to lose this house and they want this house. Yeah. Especially in this market. Yeah. So that's where in like, you know, three to five days we'll get them turned around and we'll get offers, you know, submitted you know, after they kind of contact us. So that's the big one. And I wish that we could pay loan officers for referrals because like for either half of their fee that they would normally get, like I would gladly do that. My understanding is like there's different rules of what they can or can't do. And I'm always like, oh, can't you call it a marketing budget or like do something creative? Because I was like, we're doing our own marketing, right? And you just happen to have clients who can't get a bank loan that you're probably just nurturing, giving them a plan and hoping that, you know, a year or 18 months down the road, you're going to get a loan with them. Right. And my thought would be, well, if we buy a home for them this year, can we give you a little bit of something on the front end? And then on the back end, let's work side by side. So as soon as physically possible, they can refinance a loan with you. Right. And it's like, as soon as their credit score hits 580, or as soon as they hit that two-year mark, or as soon as they get their taxes, or as they hit their six months of employment, you know, at their job status, perfect. Run them through your application. And that way they're already in the house. Right. And they know that they want to refinance because with us in private money or hard money, however you want to call it, like we're more expensive than a bank. And right. people know that like we're pretty upfront, like, well, your mortgage would be $1,500 with them. Well, it's $2,000 with us. Right. And their idea is like, well, maybe I'll pay $500 a month extra, you know, for this option to live in the house for 12 months and then not have to move as opposed to just basically throwing away $1,500 a month in rent for a year, right. you know, which is 10 to 12 grand going out the door. Right, and right, so right. that's probably my offer where we work most with loan officers because I'm not trying to originate any loans ourselves. And then number two is the dreaded underwriter, which I always throw under the bus because I have yet to meet an underwriter. I have an ongoing bet of whoever can take a photo with an underwriter first in a group of people because I still don't know if they exist because I've never actually seen one. 
right? So we always make that <laughs> joke because they always get the butt end of everything and they always get blamed, but I've yet to see one in person. So I'm, if anybody wants to come in and take a selfie, I would love to take a selfie with an underwriter just to prove that they exist. It's always the underwriter's fault. Yeah, I mean, that's funny that you say that. Even at the end of the day, right, like they're typically underwriting to specific guidelines and so they don't have a ton of control over you know, what happens. But, you know, there is discretion that can be made. And, you know, as someone that formerly worked for a mortgage company, I mean, you know, there was some underwriters that were certainly more, uh, let's just call them stringent than others and just weren't as willing to make, you know, just decisions for themselves. And if it wasn't like black and white, then, you know, they weren't willing to play in the, but that's typical of anybody in compliance sort of law background, sort of people, right? There's just the type of personalities they're going to fall into. They're detail-oriented, right? It's hard for detail-oriented people to, you know, stray. And whereas like salespeople are like, oh, come on, man, you can, why don't you do this? Like, and I remember being that salesperson that's like always trying to find the angle. That's right. But it doesn't always work. Yeah. I mean, in their defense too, like sometimes something does pop up at the last second. Like, you know, right. a lot of times it's not stuff that like anybody blatantly missed. It's just like, hey, they followed the rules. They're going through their process. I mean, and sometimes even these buyers can like, you know, go get the car loan or go do something really yeah, silly. Right, that, that, I right. mean, it's not the underwriter's fault that they went out and got a $50,000 truck and like, yeah, your DTI is like all messed up and like, hey, yeah, we right. can't do anything. So that's where we've gotten a few calls where like just this morning I was talking with a lady in Indianapolis, Indiana, and she said, hey, we're supposed to close on June 22nd. So this is in five days. So they're already in contract and everything. Yeah. So she's like, home inspections like done, like appraisals like good. And then like, yeah. And then they said like, we can't do this. Like, what can we do? And so we kind of had a couple of options. And so like, we're actively working through this, me and my team, where it's like, ooh, can we come in all cash, have them just assign it to us, and we'll close. And then at the same day that we close, we enter into this lease with the option to buy with these, we call them tenant buyers, mm-hmm. so that she can get her six months, do all that stuff. That way, the transaction still goes through. Unfortunately, the loan officer doesn't you know, get it paid in this situation unless I could, you know, compensate them. The real estate agent still does, but they still get their house. The seller gets it and they kind of go and then we would love to, you know, continue to work with them. If we can do it all cash, great. But sometimes we use our own financing, commercial loans, just because they're different than conventional. And it takes, you know, 30 or 45 days to do the appraisal. But the idea is like still, hey, make that transaction happen just so that this loan officer doesn't just say, sorry, we can't help you. It's like, sorry, we can't help you. But hey, here's someone that might be able to make your situation a little bit less painful because if you're moving and doing all this stuff, like there's a lot of emotions going on. Yeah. Well, I think this is going to become more and more common. I mean, I would say in the market with rates going up this high, you know, that's eating into affordability and things like that. And like, you know, maybe someone was already tight and all of a sudden rates go up, you know, like they did, you know, a couple of days ago, all of a sudden they're priced out of this home that they thought they had. Obviously if someone goes on a contract, you know, they're most likely going to be, you know, locked and loaded. It's not going to, you know, be affecting them like that, but heaven forbid something like that happens. It's good to have options. And I've heard of, again, this is maybe a question for the audience. Like, can individuals lock rates? Like I've heard of someone here locally being like offering the loan originating company offering like a 180 day rate lock. Yeah, there's options. Typically, you know, it costs you like it's going to cost you, you're going to pay a little bit higher rate, but you can lock it for longer periods of time. But yeah, typically 30, 60 day locks, you can do, you know, you can do lock extensions, things like that. But again, it all costs money. They're making their money one way or another. Yeah, there's going to be fees and things like that associated with longer locks just because, I mean, you got to think about like there's inherent risk for the lending company to do that. I mean, if we go back to, you know, the start of 2020 when the pandemic hit, there was a lot of 
people like even some companies couldn't even honor their locks because if they would have honored their locks, they would have gone out of business like because they got margin called. And so, you know, there's things like that. There's that sort of risk that companies have when it comes down to that. Because we were chatting about like how many different people, how many different ways does the money get touched from buyer to seller and where the money, you know, actually goes like on a $200,000 house. It's like, ooh, like 40 of it, you know, is like cash and, you know, maybe... 30,000 of that goes, you know, towards the seller, 10 goes to title company, agent fees, all that stuff. And then yep. all the money that's loaned gets securitized, that's sold off. And then you got a bunch of investors that are buying up all these packaged portfolios, right, right. you know, things it's like, man, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot of people involved in the mortgage transaction, you know? And so what I think is important too, to think about as a loan officer is like, you know, at the end of the day, you're someone that's providing solutions and like, whether or not, I mean, obviously you want that solution to benefit you. But at the same time, like, you know, like you said, I mean, someone's potentially going to get left, like, you know, maybe they already had to sell their house. So like at the scenario you just talked about, like, what if this person has just had sold their other house now is moving into a new house and expecting to be able to move into it. And all of a sudden they're going to be left homeless because of the situation. So like having solutions, if you're a solutions provider, like, I think it's always going to come back. Like if you're a problem solver, if you can figure out ways to creatively solve problems, it's going to be good for you and your business. Again, even if you're not able to receive compensation in regards to that. And I don't know the legalities of it. I do believe though that, you know, you're not really supposed to pay referral fees and things like that. Again, I'm not, I'm not the compliance person, but I do think that there is power for being a solutions provider, even if it doesn't mean yourself. Right. I think it's a powerful sales tool as well. Right. Like one of the things that I think is important is like, okay, like you have a conversation with someone, this person, you know, maybe your solution isn't the right thing for them. It might be someone else. Like, I mean, same thing with you. Right. So I just think that puts you in a different base or puts you in a different, uh, I don't know, like you have a different frame when you're able to, you know, as a salesperson, like your goal is ultimately to, you know, figure out if it's someone that you can help. Right. And so many times people take sales like too far. It's like, well, you were convincing them of something that they don't really need or isn't what they need. Right. So like in certain scenarios, it might actually make sense for them to go with you in the short term, especially if they can't qualify. Right. So yeah. And so tell me like, what does this look like in terms of like, what are the sort of criteria and things like that that people have to fall into to qualify? Sure. Yeah. The larger vision is like, and this is like a, yeah, 10, 20 year plan is like, Ooh, could we like semi privatize the mortgage industry? Sure. Where you got somebody in California that's sitting on $200,000 and they want a loan on a property in Little Rock, Arkansas, that's worth 250. And somebody else is coming in with 50 grand. Like, why can't they just strike up a deal? And he's like, you know what, if I get a 5% interest rate on it, like I'm happy. And like, hey, if someone could do some oversight or play a little bit of matchmaker, which is kind of already going on, just, you know, on a you know much larger scale, the idea is, could this be more of a peer-to-peer lending? And so the idea that we stepped with that was point one was, okay, you have an investor. If you're an investor, what would you look for to buy someone a home? Now, the bank looks at, you know, their things of debt-to-income ratio, their credit score, a whole plethora of stuff that you could probably educate me on. As an investor, if you're looking at something, what are you looking for? And it's like, okay, what's my risk? And then what's my potential return? Right. And so the way that we do it is like, we're not going to tell anybody no. And the reason that we can do that is, okay, yeah, you have to make a minimum like monthly income because if you make no income, okay, yeah, that's trouble. But like, if you can prove that last month I made $4,500, okay, well, in general, then like it stands to reason that you could probably afford a $1,500 a month payment. And if you've been paying rent at $1,500 a month, like, there's some easy segue there. But if you just like went through bankruptcies and evictions and different things, an investor might be like, well, you know what? I want you to have 
10% skin in the game or 20% or 30%. So it's kind of like an LTV thing. Mm -hmm. So as an investor, that's kind of the criteria that I'm hearing is like, okay, prove that they make at least $4,500 a month. And from that, all we're figuring out is how much of a down payment they need based on all the other factors. Do they have civil suits against them? Credit score means something, but it's more like the amount of collections. Are they getting right. evicted? Do they go through bankruptcy? And almost like just evaluating this person from a character. So like, ooh, I got somebody that would buy Luke a home. Luke's his own business, you know, writes off everything on his taxes. But like, oh, I see what he's doing. Like he's investing in himself. He's paying for marketing. He just doesn't want to pay taxes. But I right. know that he's making five, six, seven, ten figures a month. Like you can have some rest assured that it's a little bit tricky to prove that as opposed to just looking at whatever your AGI is on your tax form right. that the banks have to follow. And so it's a little bit less solvent, but it's like, it's just way more flexible from what we're hearing. And so like an investor wants to see above like a 10% return on their money, which is like, Hey, I could either just put money into the stock market and with enough time get eight, 10, 12%. Or if I got some real estate, you know, it's, there's some collateral, I'm getting an interest rate, or I'm maybe getting some cash flow, and I'm, I get to depreciate that. And so we're basically have like a pool of investors, our own private money, they're just looking at like, hey, what are you looking for as far as like a return? And then we're just matching those up and presenting those to people. And we kind of like payment calculators and stuff on our website. So people are like, ooh, here, I can do this. And here's what the premium charge is or how things work. Nice. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, I know for sure. And so when it comes to that, like, so are you working with, are these like corporations? Are these like individuals? Like who are the people that are investing in these? A lot of them are, I'm going to call them W-2 platinum employees. So these are like high income W-2 earners because they can go to the bank and they can get a pre-approval letter and a loan just like that, right? Like if you have the W-2 and you're getting like your first, second or third deal, like you look pretty good. So typically these are people that are making six figures and they don't know where to put their money. They've maxed out their 401k. They maybe bought some Bitcoin. Maybe they're doing some day trading. Like, man, I just want to get into real estate, but I don't know how. Okay. So it's like, ooh, here's this $200,000 property. You can get a loan for 160. You can bring 40 grand into this thing and you can maybe cash flow $500 a month. So we present that to investors and they're like, ooh, that sounds like a good deal. I get a property, it cash flows. It's a rental property. It's pretty turnkey because- the tenant buyer is picking it out, getting the inspection. I'm getting appraisal. The day they move in, there's no vacancy. So it's just a potential investment opportunities for those people. And then if none of those people want it, like we're buying the homes ourselves. Okay. And so like we're prepared to have that be a backstop of like we would never, you know, offer out to investor anything that we're not closing ourselves because to start with, we just bought all the homes. Well, now when you're doing 10, 20, 30, 40 of these homes, you know, we can't put down $40,000 every time. So it was just like, hey, we have way more demand than what we have capital for. Gotcha. So then we've been looking at the venture capitalist route, doing like a large, you know, raise. There's a couple companies that have done this that started like three or four or five years ago. Whole Partners of America just got bought out by Blackstone for $6 billion. Blackstone's buying everything. And like Divi Home started this up five years ago and they just did their Series C raise for $500 million. And so like, I think there is a way, especially when this turns into maybe more of a buyer's market, like people are going to be begging to get rid of their homes and you can create a financing or anything is going to be, you know, so we're kind of preparing ourselves for that route. But we've also just noticed like this is just a super niche and just find the pain point for people. I learned that from Alex Hormozzi here, you know, just recently, nice. like, man, that book, hundred million dollar offers. Great book. If you're in any type of service-based business, that is like, very rarely do I give a book like above five stars, but like if you haven't read that and you're in sales in the service-based business, especially like, man, go get that immediately. Yeah. And like just nailing people's pain point and the time. So like for us, it's like, what's the most stress that somebody could go through? And it's like, 
man, I went to the bank and I got told no like three times. I'm screwed. I can't do anything else. Or like, hey, we're set to close next week. Oh, turns out you can't. Like those pain points are like an eight, nine or 10 on a scale because it's people's homes and there's not much more besides, you know, family, you know, food, you know, some basic shelter stuff that people would value more than that. And so then we just really focused on that pain point. Gotcha. So you ever do any like owner financing where like the homeowner that's selling it actually finances or like, you know, keeps the holds down to that? I don't know. It just was interesting thing that popped up as you were talking about that. Yeah, there's a couple different ways. So like there's some maybe vernacular terms of like owner financing, seller financing, contract for deed or land contract. They're all essentially the same thing where the owner's holding, gotcha. you know, some sort of funds that they're selling it to them. But absolutely, we've done what we call contract for deed where we're buying it and selling it to someone at a fixed interest rate and amortization just like a bank would where it's not this rent with the option to buy. And so we do that kind of in strategic ways where, yeah, it's a seller financing because there's different rules and regulations and different states have different rules of what you can or can't do. So we've done seller financing as well. Dope. Cool, man. You know, kind of the segue into like, you know, this could be an interesting investment tool for, you know, even some of these high earners, loan officers, real estate agents that might be listening to this is like, you know, just another way to potentially invest money. So, I mean, you know, I know you got the real estate investing background, like, what would you say is kind of like a good way? I mean, I know you've done a couple different things and obviously you fell on this. Is there other ways that you're using to creatively invest money into real estate or is it kind of all going into this venture? Sure. So I would say I subscribed to Robert Kiyosaki's The Four Quadrants. Sure. Where, yeah, I was the employee and then the next quadrant's kind of self-employed. The next one's business owner and the next one's investor. And right now we're pretty much self-employed, but the idea is like, because we're running this business, if I stopped, like, yeah, there's some properties that we have investments, but it still needs some time. Sure. But the idea is like, ooh, how can I buy more businesses, create more businesses, or have more teams and processes that come in that free up our time that we can serve more people. Right. So the idea is like, I've got some different flips going on, just like with real estate, some great, some horribly wrong that I lose sleep over, which is like not good from an entrepreneur's perspective, but it's like always trying new things. So like, yeah, I got the flips, got normal rentals myself. We got this home equity partner things. We're buying homes for people that can't get the bank loan. And then I do some like merchant cash advance like investing where there's like no collateral, but it's like higher return. I've never gotten into the Bitcoin world, but like just different private money loans that I'll do myself out to people, but a lot focused on the real estate. How many legs have you had to break? <laughs> uh, zero besides, zero, uh, so besides the willing participants of I broke my leg when I was younger. So did my <laughs> daughter and so did my son. So those oh, are the man, only legs that are breaking is, in the blood. is because we're just adventurous. Yeah. Well, what's adventure for you guys just to kind of, going to that i mean what's kind of your guys's bread and butter as far as that goes man just to yeah so go back to the family for a second so been extremely intentional with family time like warren buffett's like the greatest you know thing in the world is compound interest well that same thing works with your kids like i could have really easy made the argument of like oh you know they're gonna forget everything by the time they're five took the exact opposite approach and was like the more time i'm with my kids between zero to five the better this, if you want to use compound interest, is going to work when they're older and they're teenagers and different stuff. Because I've seen and I've felt like that illusion of like, oh, you got to go home. You got to be like the breadwinner. You got to do all that stuff. And so like I gave up all the hobbies. It was waking up at like three or four o'clock in the morning, get all my work stuff done. Then it's dad mode. Then it's, you know, do some business, do whatever I got to do. And then it's dad mode. And so like, especially when you're doing the side hustle, when you have the W2 plus that, like I was not forsaken family in that and so right now 
I mean, there's always ups and downs with being a dad, but man, it's so intentional. I'm in a group called Front Row Dads where it's family men with businesses, not businessmen with families. Love it, man. And so the idea is focus on that. So with me, it's like, how many principles and life lessons can I teach my kids? Can I take them to some flip houses, do some fun things, you know, with them and teach them? And what am I instilling in them? And then as I'm building up this passive income in these businesses, let's go take the RV and hit every national park. My wife loves national parks. The idea is like, hey, let's travel. Let's go different things. And so right now when they're younger, we still travel. Like we took everyone to Estes, drove the 16 hours in a car with a one-year-old and a three-year-old, like did all that stuff because it's like, man, you just just do it. Like don't make the excuses, do it. And I'm like, man, it's just going to get better. Keep doing that. It, and like the marshmallow test for the family, like, man, that's going to pay off. If I can be sitting 20 years from now and be like just looking down at like how much time I spent with my kids and how good of people they came out to be, hopefully, like – that's going to be super fulfilling. Yeah, man, I love that because, man, it's funny. I was just having a conversation earlier about that. And it's like so many times people are like, man, how do you guys like travel so much? How do you do like all this stuff with kids? It's so hard. And it's like, well, yeah, it's hard, but like it's also like the funnest thing ever, right? Like, yeah, like traveling in an airplane with, you know, little kids while you're doing it is not the funnest. Like, you know, it's a lot of work, right? Let's just say it's a lot of work. You got freaking, you got to, you know, take four bags with you. You got car seats. You got all kinds of stuff. You know, we go to Tahoe every year at the end of the year basically in December and my kids are like right now it's it's June and they're talking about that because we've gone for the last four years and it's like they're one of their core memories now like and it's literally June and they're talking about oh when are we going to Tahoe when are we going to Tahoe <laughs> so I do I think that there's you know especially in a space like this you know and I don't think in any entrepreneurial type of an endeavor but you know loan officers real estate agents entrepreneurs like we're all kind of wired the same of like go 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 build 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 do this do that and then there's just this huge emphasis especially these days i mean there's gary vaynerchuk there's you know grant cardone or just like the hustle culture is super glorified i mean and i'm building this for my family and it's funny because like i don't know if it was funny but i know a couple years back you know my wife i was like oh, i'm doing this for the family watch like you haven't even been here for two years <laughs> you haven't been present for two years i'm like oof like that really hurt, you know, that really hurt because I was like, man, I'm over here. I'm saying I'm doing this for my family, but the truth is like I'm kind of doing it for my own ego. Yeah, like the ultimate thing is to like, you know, have the freedom to be able to do these things. But like if I lose the family, if I lose the things that I'm building this for in the journey, like what's the point, right? Because the whole point, the whole reason the journey started was to give the freedom, to give the monetary, the time, the location freedom to my family and then to lose it all because I was grinding too hard and working too many hours. Like who cares? Like at the end of the day, like the only things we're going to take with us is our experiences, right? Like as we kind of get older, like, you know, when we're retiring and all that kind of stuff, we even ever retire. It's not like going to be, Oh man, I'm so glad I grinded, you know, 18 hour days and I didn't spend any time with the people that I loved. It's going to be like, Hey, you know, I got to do these cool things. I got to go to Disney World. I got to go, you know, to all these state parks with my family in an RV, you know. And so, like, that's, in my opinion, huge. And it's huge for entrepreneurs to think about. And, I mean, I love that you brought that up because we typically talk a lot about mindset and things like that on the show because I'm a big proponent of mindset. But I think family's something that, you know, I mean, we even think about, what's his name, uh, Gary Vee, you know. How much time did he spend with his family? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah, and it's tough because I've used that same excuse. Like, oh, I'm building for family. Well, if I look at it, it's like, man, I just enjoy it. Like, I'm good at it. People praise you for doing it because you get, like, that little dopamine dump. We're like, oh, you're really good at, you know, marketing. You're really yeah. good at real estate. And you get that praise because, you know, who's not saying thank you? A one-month-old, a one-year-old, a two-year-old. They're just super demanding. It's like they just tell you everything that you've done wrong. Like, there's not one word right. of praise that's ever coming out. It's like, yeah, slowly they'll start to say I love you, give you the hugs. And, like, yeah, there is, like, the highs and lows. But, like... 
for us that have, you know, maybe the love language of words of affirmation, man, it's like, oh, I'm not getting that for my kids. And if you and your spouse are not on the same page, and if you're both agreeing, it's like, man, we got to make ends meet. I got to work 18 hours. Like, I'm not trying to dismiss that because, like, there's some people who are just right. like, I just got to work because I got diapers, man. There's certain stages where it makes sense. Definitely. 100%. Like, yep. when you first get started, you almost have to do that. But, like, I think people do that for 20 years, and then they're like, crap, I missed out on my whole life. Because, they, yeah, they don't know how to not. And then they keep setting the goals higher and higher. It's like, oh, well, now I got employees, or now I got these other people. And so... I was listening to Justin Donald's book, The Lifestyle Investor, where he's like, lifestyle first. Like, design your business, design your life around a lifestyle. Like, what do you want? And this idea of like, oh, you need more. You need to make $100 million in business. You got to do all that stuff. It's like, well, like, if that's what supports your lifestyle, great. But, you know, otherwise, you know, let's focus on what does your day look like? And for me, like, I've come to the realization because I was like, ooh, you know what I could maybe be is a stay-at-home dad. Uh, nope. Like, I cannot do that right now. Like, I tried that, and I was like, okay, so turns out there's somewhere between, like, I'm doing it for my family and not being a stay-at-home dad. Okay, let's try to find out what that yeah. is. Like, okay, yeah, no thanks. take them to daycare every day, spend four hours with them. We're doing weekend activities. We're doing that. But you know what? Dad is not there the whole time because I am not designed that way with patience, at least yet. Maybe I'll regret that in the future. But, like, man, I tried that for a little bit, and I was like, holy cow, my wife is a saint. Oh, dude, I 100% agree, man. Somebody's like, man. And then like I go home or I have to watch them for a whole day. And I'm like, all right, well, you know what? My wife is like the best human ever and the most patient human ever. Because like I come home and there's like a mess. Like the, you know, the kids are like knocking something on the ground. I'm like, what the world are you doing? And she's like, you just got home. Like, you can't be like that. I'm like, yeah, I know. But it's just, uh, uh, you know, sometimes it does get kind of frustrating. So uh, anyway, yeah. So I think that's huge. I mean, I think, you know, the thing that I like, I mean, you know, obviously being a problem solver, things like that. But, you know, when it all boils down to it, like, what are we in business? for and I think defining that is huge right because I think it's super easy I mean in the mortgage industry to just want to you know go and grow for growth's sake but if it's not something that's like you know like you said if it's not something that is what you've actually defined as what you want out of life you're probably going to end up one day regretting it you know broken relationships and things like that or maybe you won't you know maybe that's not going to be a problem but again defining what you want is going to be huge so I really love that you know we kind of ended at that is just like the importance, and I'm a big family guy. I mean, not everybody listening is going to be a family, but like, what is it that you actually want, right? Maybe you want to travel. Maybe you want to do those things, you know, and are you going to wait too late? Are you going to wait too long before you start to do those things that you really want to do and end up, you know, 20 years later wishing you would have done it 20 years ago? That's something to think about. I think we're all too busy in life. And one thing that I hold very dear is almost just like thinking time or what I call gym time. Like, do you know where your brain goes? Like if you just go for a walk or you work out or you go for a run, it's like, ooh, you like, your brain's like problem solving in a way that if I was sitting on a desk answering emails and doing all that stuff, like, right. wouldn't be possible. And so, like, I would maybe challenge different loan officers, different things. Like, if you're like, oh, I got to get up, go in there, make the calls, you know, do my leads, do all that stuff. Like, man, if you just take some time and, like, just, like, think, go work out, do some stuff, listen to a good, like, inspiring book or audiobook or something like that, like, that investment, it's like, although it's not immediate, it feels like it pays tenfold dividends in the future because you just have to come up with one idea maybe remember one client that you forgot about that you just reach out and say hi to. And it's like, ooh, that paid for it itself because you just weren't such in the hustle and bustle. Yeah, I agree. I think there's value to be had in just stillness and silence and things like that. Although it's hard for us in a social media world that's full of technology to ever be silent, right? Like we're trying to fill our silence with notifications and dopamine, but it is important to have those times because I think that's when you get more creative. Like you said, like you have ideas, you're solving problems in a different way, but it allows you to be creative and be, you know, who you really are. The Stephen Covey, I think it's also the four quadrants, right? Like 
you know, a lot of times what we end up dealing with is like what's urgent and important, but a lot of the time we need to be spending is important, but not urgent. So that's like planning. That's, you know, downtime. Like that's like super important, but we don't think about it. So now we're putting in 14 hour days. It's just like, really, if you would have put eight hours and just structured your day a little better and focus on the things that are going to move your business forward versus just reacting to everything, you'd be way more advanced, but we just get so stuck in this reactive mode because we never slow down to think about, all right, what are we doing? So, and I love that. That was a great sort of like ending point. You got any other tips on that? No, man, I was just thinking about it. Cause when you're in the thick of it, you yeah. know what you don't want to hear? Oh, just relax. Don't ever say that to your mom or to your spouse. I mean, that's a, yeah. Don't ever do like that. it just, it's so hard to see once you're in it. Oh. But no, thanks for having me on. This has been a great conversation, man. Hopefully this is helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And if someone wanted to kind of learn a little bit more about what you do, find you online or anything like that, connect with you, what is some good places they can find you? Sure. I would say two things. Number one, we have a podcast. It's called Pre-Approved. So it's for the one in 10 Americans that get denied a bank loan each year. Talks about like five different ways to get into a home without a bank loan. Talks through the lease option, the contract for deed, because I think there's a lot of ways to do rent to own the wrong way take advantage of people. There's scams out there. So we try to break all those myths to make sure that if you can't get a bank loan, you don't fall into those. And then number two is if you wanted to get a hold of us, you can just go to homeequitypartner.com. And we have a lot of like agents, bankers, tabs, emails, phone numbers, social media, all on there. It's just homeequitypartner.com. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for being here. And you know, I, I do love like, I mean, you know, I know we talked about the creative financing and things like that. But I think to me, the most powerful piece was just, you know, being intentional about basically about your life, right? If you have kids, if you have family, you know, being intentional about spending time with them. But I think it really comes down to being intentional about living the life you want to live, right? Not living the life someone else tells you should be your life or anything like that. Like, because again, you're going to wake up and be like, man, I was living someone else's life for the last 10, 15, 20 years. Amen to that. So thank you so much for being here, man. And for everybody who's listening, have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the Loans On Demand podcast on loansondemandpodcast.com. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.